0: Welcome to the Insurance Post podcast. I'm Emran Hughes, Editor of Insurance Post, and today I'm joined by the Association of British Insurers, Ben Howarth, Alliance's Laura Patterson, and Aurora's Lauren Stables, to talk about making the insurance industry more diverse and inclusive. Today on the Insurance Post podcast, we're excited to have with us Ben Howarth, Chief Sustainability Officer of the Association of British Insurers, Laura Patterson, Head of Diversity and Inclusion at Alliance, and Lauren Stables, Head of Operations at Aurora. They're going to share their expertise on making insurance companies more inclusive, plus some steps to make sure that the industry becomes more diverse. Hello Ben, Laura and Lauren. Welcome to the Insurance Post podcast.
1: Hello. Hi. Anna. Hi
0: Anna. So many people still view the insurance industry as stale, pale and male. Is that perception accurate, Laura?
1: So I think it's, it's definitely fair to say that the insurance industry um, as a whole it is definitely not representative of the diversity that we see in wider society, and especially at a, a senior level. And that's really important because, be it people within the industry already, or considering coming into the industry, if they can't look up and see people like them, then that's difficult. Um, So, yeah, I I think it's fair to say some progress has been made over recent years, but we've still got a long way to go to be truly representative um, and the diverse industry that we would like to be.
0: Lauren, would you agree that the perception is slightly based on reality. Yeah,
2: definitely. So my background is coming from a large uh, commercial insurer and I definitely saw more males in, you know, higher roles. Um, having moved to a startup 6 months ago, it's actually really refreshing to see that over 50% of our team um, are actually females and in higher roles as well. So it just shows like not having the inherent issues that some of
0: the larger commercial companies have, we can actually become more diverse. Ben, would you agree in terms of how the ABI monitors the makeup of the industry, is it still pale stale, male?
3: Um, I think it's a more nuanced picture that, you know, that's a little bit of a cliche, but not wholly unfair, I think is how I'd describe it. Um, so I think if you look at sort of entry level roles, 58% of the sector actually recruiting are female. So it's not a completely male industry, um, but that drops off massively once you get to the more senior roles. And I think um, the last statistics we have, which are now from a couple of years ago, but from 2021, are that they're at 36%. I think it's a similar picture if you look at sort of ethnic minorities where you know, I think it's only sort of like 3% of um, boards are from ethnic minority backgrounds, but actually if you look at the UK population now, um, it's sort of about 18% of the population are non white so I think we've got a long way to go on the, the male and pale bit. I think the stale is actually quite an interesting thing to look at, because I think that's a slightly different issue, and I think that speaks more to culture, you know, and um, I think we should start looking at the wider culture and what it's like to work in the sector, you know, are we open to change, are we innovative, are the jobs actually interesting to do, um, and I think that's a you know an evolving piece but i think actually probably the industry is more interesting and more exciting place to work than maybe people outside the sector think
0: so so some progress today clearly starting to um the makeup is starting to shift lauren what progress how has that progress been achieved to date in terms of moving towards becoming more diverse and inclusive
2: yeah, sure. So, just talking about Aurora again, our two co-founders are actually from ethnic backgrounds. So, it's at the core of Aurora really to be really diverse. Again, we've got a team force ranging from you know apprentices coming in for the first job to people you know who are you know thirty-five years in the industry, and they work collaboratively together. And I think that's one of the pieces that is missing is you know everyone working collaboratively to, to you know
0: be more diverse. Um, Laura, what kind of how how would you say the progress has been achieved to date?
1: Yeah, so I think, um, as I touched on previously, I think progress has been made. And if I look at Allianz specifically, um, I would say we've made progress um, over recent years with still you know, a, a journey ahead of us. Um, for us, what's been really important has been listening to um, our employees and understanding actually what is important, what matters most to them, and ensuring that we design a really inclusive employee experience for everybody. So some of the things that we've done in recent years have been things like our transitioning at work policy, which supports um, our trans colleagues. Um, Another thing that we've looked at is our career returners programme, and that really talks to... I guess, um, kind of diverse and inclusive recruitment and ensuring that actually, um, yeah, we recruit a a breadth um, of individuals with the returners programme. We support those that have perhaps had a career break um, through a supported hiring model. um, And we've had some great success stories um, through doing that. So yeah, a range of things, but what's been at the core is listening to our employees and working collaboratively with our employee networks to design, those kind of policies and practices. Some
0: great initiatives there. Ben, um, obviously a lot of talk there about initiatives. Uh, What role have the targets played in terms of achieving some of the progress to date and what other things have you seen contribute towards making the industry more diverse?
3: Yeah, I think those targets that are already in place are really important. I think if you look at initiatives like the Women in Finance Charter or the ABI's own Flexible Working Charter, I think we're starting to see that those are having a measurable impact. Um, just to give one example, if you look at board makeup, you know, in 2018 it was at 19% and then by 2021 it was at 32% female, so that's that's good progress in a relatively mm-hmm. short period of time. Doesn't mean we've cracked all of these issues and I think, I know we'll come on to talk about our blueprint, but one of the reasons we published our blueprint last year is because we recognise that the pro- progress hasn't been quick enough. Mm. Um, so I think we are making some progress. Those initiatives are starting to have an impact, and, and actually now it's about really building on that. And and probably also at the moment they're targeted on quite specific parts of the DEI agenda. Um, trying to think about it more holistically as well is really important. So it, this agenda should be for everybody.
0: Mm. I mean, certainly touching on that. I mean, so far a lot of the pro, um, the focus seems to have been just on the makeup of the industry. How important is it that insurers graphs that that they need to also be inclusive to the customers and in kind of truly understand their diverse needs. Laura, what role has that had with you?
1: I mean, I think um, from my perspective, that's absolutely vital. Uh, We've already touched on the fact that, you know, we want to have an industry that is representative of the broader society and that for me is key so that we can truly understand the diverse needs of our customers Um, and that's good for our customers and that's good for business ultimately. Um, I think the key thing for me is that actually we have an inclusive culture where we can really then um, I guess reap the benefits of diversity because it's all very well having a diverse workforce but actually if you don't have an inclusive and healthy culture then we won't necessarily see the benefits of of that so for me that's what's really key um, and what will ensure that ultimately um, we're then able to do the right thing for our customers.
0: It's So important to have diversity of thought if you're going to truly serve the kind of diverse needs of customers out there. Lauren would you agree with that? you <laughs> Yeah, totally. And one of the things
2: um, that we noticed there was a gap in the market with the you know customer journey is actually um, you know making sure they know what insurance they're buying and what insurance they need. And, you know, there's a, a statistics out there that there's a massive underinsurance um, with our customers. So what we're trying to do is, is educate the customer through the journey. So using things like videos, um, examples of other industries um, to show the customer what other people are insuring, just to make sure that they're aware of what insurance they should really have. So it's just being transparent and clear with our customers. Um, so so they know what they're buying and also
0: they know what the requirements are as well. Mm. Ben um, how important is it when you're talking to your insurance membership that they grasp that you know it's diversity and inclusion shouldn't just be about the makeup of their firms it should also be, be about being inclusive with customers. Yeah it's absolutely crucial. So Ben in terms of when you're talking to your members do you feel that they grasp how important it is to be inclusive um, to customers and also understand their diverse needs?
3: Yeah, I think that's absolutely crucial Um, and I think we'll also see this in sort of regulatory initiatives such as the FCA's work on vulnerable customers, Um, although I wouldn't just put it from the regulatory angle. I think there's really good research to show that diverse um, and inclusive companies actually perform better. Um, So there's McKinsey research that you'll hear quoted all the time on this shows that the companies that are most diverse actually outperform their peers by more than 48%. So there's a really good business case for taking this seriously. Um, I would see the two things as completely linked. So I think you can't make the right decisions for a really diverse society without having a diverse makeup of views so if you have a small group of a narrow group of people they might think they've got the answer right they might be having interesting conversations in their board discussions or in exec teams but if they're not diverse they're probably going to miss stuff that's really obvious um, so I think it's really really important to to think all the way through about actually linking these two things together so it's not just about as you say it's not just about the makeup of your business it's about the way that you make decisions it's about getting all the right voices into the room and um, basically I'm convinced that will lead to better better products for people and I'd just also say, if you look at some of the challenges that we're working on from things like cyber insurance or climate change, these are really complex areas and actually they need you to think through what it means for the whole of the population um, in great detail. So the more diverse you can be as a, as a business, the better you'll perform on some of those really tricky things. And sorry, just one more point I would also make is if, if you look at the, the census data, we're getting more diverse and inclusive as a society we're much older now we're much more there's far more ethnic minorities living in Britain than there were 10 years ago so this is only getting more important and actually also if you look at the attitudes of customers although you hear a lot of noise in the media from some politicians challenging this agenda and um, actually if you look at attitudes of society as a whole if you look at the social attitude survey that came out last year people are actually really open to this so it's not controversial it's just the right thing to do
0: I mean if you want to grow your business then you need to kind of grow your customer base and therefore diversity makes um, clear sense. Lauren, what lessons would you say that you've learned along the way in terms of improving the industry's diversity and inclusion?
2: I think a big one for everybody was the pandemic so I think it taught insurers that you know individuals can work from home and be trusted to still you know deliver what they need to deliver personally for me that made a huge difference in my work-life balance and um, you know I commute an, an hour and a half to work every day and just removing that commute for me made a massive difference Um, you know we need to trust our employees that we're doing the right thing you know if we're hiring the right people for the roles we should be able to trust them and um, to work from home and the back of that you know flexible working policy policy were introduced so you know some people don't want to work from home all the time but the flexible working policies isn't you know allowed them you know to have freedom of choice I guess you know to work from home on the days that they feel they need to if they've got children they need to pick up or people they need to care for Um, and then if they want to you know go into the office if they're feeling a bit isolated you know that's the option for them too so I think the pandemic definitely taught you know a lot of insurance companies a you know a really good lesson
0: to trust their employees Mm, presenteeism hopefully a thing of the past
1: yeah Laura (laughs) what
0: lessons would you say you've learned over the years
1: Uh, Lots, to be honest. Um, (laughs) Yeah, I I think like we've touched on, it's a journey. Um, I think for me, a a few key things that I would share. So I think um, certainly from my experience at Allianz, what has been so key and we're really grateful for is the importance of our kind of exec sponsors um, and you know their buy-in and support for D&I ultimately. So we're very lucky to have that. But I think that alone is not enough. And I would describe it as a kind of top-down, bottom-up approach um, and our employee networks um, and all of our people you know, are critical to that and ensuring that we listen to what's important to them. So those two things I think are absolutely key. Um, I think data and measurement, I I guess it's that kind of um, saying that what gets measured gets managed um, and I think that's been something that's really important so that we can track progress um, and actually ensure that the actions that we're taking are, are the right actions to drive progress. Um, and then I think also what's key is moving from a set of initiatives um, to DNI just being embedded in strategy and it being a, a fundamental kind of pillar of our strategy ultimately and, and that's something that we are kind of really focused on it is actually it being a strategic priority and you know part of how we do things around here. Yeah so important if you're going
0: to um, create a more inclusive culture that it's buying at every stage across the organisation so that it just becomes business as normal exactly. um, which leads us nicely on to in terms of really shifting the dial um, at the end of last year the Association of British Insurers outlined steps the industry needs to take if it is to become the most diverse, equitable and inclusive sector of the UK economy in a 36 page blueprint the trade body set out what it will do and what it expects the industry to do to ensure the 320 thousand people who work in insurance and long-term savings across all parts of the UK reflect and represent the communities the sector serves so Ben how will the ABI and the industry achieve the ambitious goals that were outlined in that blueprint
3: yeah well I think the first thing to say is we've been deliberately ambitious Um, you know I think it's quite bold to say we want to be the most diverse equitable inclusive sector in the whole economy But the reason we said that is because what we do as an industry is so important. So we should be as ambitious as possible, and there's no reason not to set the bar really high in this. Um, I think in terms of what we are going to do with the blueprint, I think there's sort of two layers to it. On one hand, I think one of the reasons we we launched it with those ambitious goals is to say that actually we want senior people in the industry to feel accountable for delivering on this. And we wanted to put something out there in the public domain that we can be held to account. So we will be updating on progress on an annual basis. So you'll be able to track whether we're actually doing the things we said. And we don't want this just to be a nice report that sits on our website and gets forgotten about. We see it as a kind of living, breathing project. Um, I think the other element of it is it's a practitioner focused document so you said it was 36 pages i've had sort of some people tell me oh it's very long it's far too long other people tell me oh it's it's i'm pleased how short it is you know have had that feedback too so um i think if you're someone actively working on dei within a business hopefully when you look at it there's lots of practical steps and things you can look at and um One of the things that we were reflecting on when we put it together is that actually diversity equity inclusion does look different for different kinds of businesses so if you're a a big multinational with offices all over the uk your version of diversity could be very different to uh, a small business a startup say and what we've tried to do is have different different steps and different actions that you can take but sort of tailor it to um, the needs of individual businesses so we're not saying every business needs to do every single bullet point in it it's about Those are practical steps that you can take. Um, I think what we've also tried to do is be really clear where the ABI is going to deliver things and then where it's an expectation of member firms. So hopefully it's a practical document that you can hold us to account. And actually when you see us update it on it, uh, report on it in a year's time, you'll be able to say, actually, yeah, you have done that. Okay, that's gone a bit slower. That's been a bit more tricky than expected. But I think by setting our stall out about what we want to achieve, it means that we can be held to account.
0: Yes accountability is so key and it'll be interesting can't wait to see what those steps forward result in hopefully giant strides so which leads me nicely on to if the ABI's blueprint is achieved what Ben what can we expect the insurance industry to be like 10 years down the line?
3: Well I think there's there's two things about that there's the makeup of the industry which I'll I'll maybe come on to but I think fundamentally the next 10 years are potentially going to be really challenging for the economy I think nobody disputes that Um, I'd like to think that actually it will be really embedded and the work we do on DEI will also lead to really creative innovative products so thinking about climate change that will actually have a completely different um, product outlook that will be serving customers in a completely new way so I would say that's a really important part of it and I think to go back to some of the topics in the blueprint one of the things that we've looked at for example is things like having more succumbents into the sector and getting more expertise from outside so i would like to think that when we look at the makeup of the sector it won't just be about kind of counting different groups and checking that we've got the right percentage, although that is really important, but also that we'll be looking at the range of expertise and skills in the sector and thinking, actually, we've got people with really interesting background, people who've come in from completely unexpected sectors, and that people want to work in insurance. Um, And I suppose if I was going to go for one one thing, I'd like to think that in 10 years' time, no one will use that pale male stale (laughs) comment that we (laughs) talked about at the beginning. So that would be a good ambition.
0: That would be a sign we've truly moved on, Ben. (laughs) Um, um, Lauren, what would you like to see the industry be like in 10 years' time? Yeah, for me, I'd like to see
2: people, well, insurance companies and, you know, smaller companies working together more collaboratively. I think at the moment there's some really great initiatives out there and there's some really great work going on in the commercial um, companies. You know, they've got their own d teams, they've got, you know, heads of coming in to, to make sure that they lead those work streams. Um, but I'd like to see... Them sharing those ideas um, you know I think a workshop that maybe the ABI can support in, in pulling all those organisations together to actually share best practice you know what went well what didn't go well and um, you know really pulling everybody together because I bet there's really some really great stuff that Laura's doing um, in Allianz uh, and there's some great stuff that you know we're doing in Aurora and we're completely different teams but I think we can share those experiences and you know make it you know better all around I don't think we can do it by working in silos and I feel like that's what we're doing a little bit today
0: Yes, definitely, I, which I feel Ben kind of touched on in terms of his vision of 10 mm-hmm. years time, that, you know, breaking down silos within companies, but not just companies, yep. the, whole industry, the whole industry, basically. Yeah. Um, Laura, what would you like to see the industry be like in 10 years time?
1: Yeah, and I mean, firstly, I would just uh, agree with Laura, and I think that's a, a fantastic point, and also the benefit of the ABI blueprint, really, in terms of actually how we can work, uh, I guess, collectively and, and collaborate to achieve a better outcome for the industry as a whole. Um, I I think for me, if I think about kind of 10 years time, um, I would like to think it would certainly be a much more diverse, equitable and inclusive um, uh, industry, and ultimately kind of a a place where people want to come and work and feel like they can truly belong. Um, But I, I think the important thing for me is that I don't think, you know, we'll get to 10 years and we will have kind of sorted it and, it, you know, we will be truly diverse and inclusive. It is a journey and it's going to consistently evolve and actually, be it with the blueprint or with our own DNI strategies, actually, you know, they will look very different in two years' time, in five years' time and we need to kind of stay um, alive to kind of the challenges, to listen to our people and to continually evolve that. Listening, sharing, so important. If we're going to become an industry
0: where no matter... Who you are, you feel that you can be included and you know valued and progress um, and about your career with insurance. That brings us to the end of this episode of the Insurance Post podcast. I'd like to thank Ben, Laura, and Lauren for joining us and sharing their insight on the steps that need to be taken to make the insurance industry more diverse and inclusive. As always, also thanks to you for listening to the Insurance Post podcast. If you enjoy our show, please rate and review us on Apple Podcasts and make sure you never miss an episode by subscribing to Insurance Post and following us on Facebook, LinkedIn and Twitter. This is the last episode of the current season of the Insurance Post podcast but never fear, we'll be back later in the year with more debates about what is going on in the insurance industry plus views on what insurers can do to improve. Until then, this is Emran Hughes signing off. The Insurance Post podcast is a product of InfoPro Digital.